All right, well, let me ask you, are any of you facing a time of spiritual indecision and weakness in your life? Have you been questioning your calling or your gifts, as in spiritual gifts that God gives to you? Maybe some of you are doubting the sufficiency of God's provision. Does God really care? Is he, where is he? You might wonder, has is he, is he abandoned you even? Are you stuck in some difficulties and you just can't seem to remove yourself from those difficulties? Well, if that sounds like you, then you have a soulmate in Timothy. <laughs> because that's the way it seems to be with Timothy as you read 2 Timothy chapter 1 and, and 1 Timothy. And speaking of which, have, have a look at chapter 1 here because I just kind of clue you into the context here a little. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible says, For this reason I remind you, and that's Paul talking to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul wrote 2 Timothy because he realized his son in the faith needed to fan into flame the gift of God which was in him. Timothy was described as timid, indecisive, weak in some ways, questioning what God was doing in his life and around him. And Timothy did not need more from God, but he needed to use what God had already provided for him. He possessed everything he needed, but what was he going to do with it? He needed to remember and live out verse 7, which says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Then he needed to do what verse 8 says in chapter 1, which says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy needed to be like the Apostle Paul. If you look at verse 12, it says, Paul says, uh, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. What was entrusted to him? Well, you look at the greater context. Paul's talking about the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. That's what had been entrusted to him. He was a a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy needed to be like Paul. And above all, he needed to do his duty. He was a minister of this gospel as well. And you look at verse 14. The Bible says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard it with your life. And so Paul ends the chapter. I'm not going to read those verses, but he ends this chapter 1 by exhorting Timothy to avoid some bad examples, some, some faithless church members, and then to identify with a faithful believer. It doesn't matter, really matter what their names are, but it seems to be the case. We always have good and bad examples around us. We can be tempted to follow and, and give in to the bad examples. Paul's saying, no, don't, don't follow their examples. Follow the good examples in your life. And then we come to chapter 2, and we're going to see this call to faithful ministry, which, by the way, is applicable to all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, this applies to you. Don't just think this is for elders or missionaries or people who get paid to be in Christian service. This is for all servants of the Lord. So let's read God's words here from 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1. Verse 1. Then you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. No soldier in gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So I propose to you today from this text that God wants you to be a faithful minister. And by minister, I just mean one of his servants. All Christians are God's servants. He wants you to be faithful in the ministry that he places us in. And so Paul exhorts Timothy here by, number one, showing us four elements of faithful ministry. What what does faithful ministry look like? You ever wondered that? What does it look like? How do I know if I am faithful in the ministry that God has placed me? Well, there's four points the Bible gives us here. Number one, we must live in the gospel. We must live in the gospel. And I say we must because this is an imperative verb. You'll see in, in verse 1 where it says, Be strengthened. It's imperative. In other words, it's a command, not an option, something you must do. It's also interesting that it's present tense in the Greek. It means this is something you must continually do. Continually keep doing this. It's not a one-off thing. It's not something you you did in the past and you stopped doing, but you keep doing throughout your life. It's also interesting that this is a passive word, be strengthened. Even in our English, you get the idea of, of passivity there. Be strengthened. By what? By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the idea is here, this is not something that you're actively doing, but something you're allowing an outside force to do upon you. So this grace is enacted upon you. Grace is enabling you to have this strength. Take note in verse 1 that it starts with, you then. Some of your Bibles say, you therefore. That's just a reference back to chapter 1, where Paul gives these bad examples and good examples. You say, well, what's the point of all those good and bad examples? Well, in light of those examples, Paul comes into chapter 2 here, and, and Timothy is to resist those bad examples. He's to follow the good example of Onesiphorus there. So why is Paul doing this? Well, he's concerned for Timothy's endurance. You'll see the word endure pop up several times in this book. Timothy needed endurance to keep going. If Timothy was to endure, it would be because he was, as verse 1 says, strengthened by the grace of Christ. Therefore, Paul commands Timothy here to live in this gospel, this good news. Live in it. Don't just talk about it. It needs to be who you are. It needs to trickle down through all of you. In other words, Timothy must abide day by day depending on this enabling grace that flows from a union with Jesus Christ. Notice it's in Christ Jesus. So it comes through a a union and communion with Christ. Now Paul doesn't tell Timothy to make himself strong here. Paul doesn't tell Timothy to pull himself up, so to speak. You've got to muster this strength in you. No, that's not what he's saying. Paul's telling him to be inwardly strengthened by God's grace, by God's enabling grace. Why is that? Well, it's impossible. Notice, impossible for a faithful minister to be faithful without God's enabling grace. You will fail every time. It, It is impossible. And so if Timothy was going to endure, it would be by what? It had to be by the strength of Christ. After all, didn't Christ say that himself? 
Christ said in John, without me, you can do nothing. So do we believe that or not? (laughs) Of course it's true. And so you might ask, okay, that's great for Timothy, but how can we endure as faithful ministers? And, And the answer is the same as it was for Timothy. How can you endure as a faithful minister? Well, you, you, you've got the same source that Timothy has. It's the grace in Christ Jesus. And so our strength lies there. Jesus Christ is the source. And so you just need to abide in the vine. Abide in the vine. Stay connected to Christ. And so our strength is derived from our union with Jesus and, and is supercharged by your daily communion with Him. And so, my friend, if you're looking for strength to endure in the midst of your hardships and your suffering, then you have to be looking in the right place, and you got to look to the right person. And verse 1 tells us it's Jesus. Jesus is the only one. (laughs) Without Him, you can do nothing. So what does faithful ministry look like? What are the elements of faithful ministry? What have we seen so far? Well, you got to live in the gospel. Christ empowering you. That's good news. But number two, you must pass on the gospel. You must pass on the gospel. And I say must again because, again, we have another imperative here in verse two. We are to entrust the gospel to others. It is imperative. It's command. It's not an option. The word entrust carries the idea of depositing something valuable for safekeeping. See, God doesn't want you to be the sole proprietor of this gospel. It is to be entrusted to others. It is to be spread out. And Paul notes four stages of this gospel handoff. It's kind of, you might think of it as as a running race where someone has a baton and, and they have this relay race going around the track and they're passing the baton to the next guy. Well, guess what? Your team's never going to finish the race. They'll never win the race unless that baton is passed to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy, and then he runs across the finish line. That's the idea here. You've got to pass it on. And in chapter 1, verse 12, Christ gave this message to Paul. Christ, the head of the church, gives the message to Paul, and then Paul passed on the message to Timothy, his son in the faith, And then Timothy, now in verse 2, is entrusted with this glorious message. He's supposed to be a faithful man. And then faithful men, hopefully like Timothy, are to teach others also. So do you see how this works? The baton in the race of life gets passed on. It keeps going, hopefully. You think about this, Paul's message went from a prison in Rome to Hamilton, New Zealand, some like 2,000 years later. How did that happen? How did it get from a prison in Rome to Hamilton, New Zealand? The gospel was passed on. If somebody had stopped passing it on, it may have never reached New Zealand. Do you see how that works? Well, how did that happen? Well, it had to be faithful men, in verse 2, as it says, we're actually practicing what verse 2 talks about, entrusting it to other faithful people who are going to also pass it on. Now, my friends, please don't let the gospel die with you. Don't let it die with you. That's, that's part of my application to you. Don't let it die with you. Pass it on. Pass it on. Be faithful. Be this faithful person who can receive a, a, a glorious posit worth guarding. And then you find other faithful people and pass it on to them. Let me just exhort you in three ways quickly. Number one, think of us as a church. We as a church need to be training faithful men and women. We need to be training faithful Christians. That is is part of our philosophy of ministry. It's something that needs to be a part of who you are. So, if you're not doing that, you might ask yourself, why not? How, and how do I become a part of that? Uh, if you're a mature Christian, you need to be training faithful people, faithful Christians. Find a faithful person and train them. 
If you're mature and able to do that, you need to do that. If you're not a mature person who's not able to do that, then you need to be someone being trained so you can become a faithful person who can then go train someone else. So you see how that works? So you need to be somewhere in that cycle is what I'm saying. You're either being trained or you're training somebody else. And we as a, as a body of Christ, the church, need to be making that a top priority. Because otherwise, the gospel could die with us. The third element of faithful ministry is we need to endure for the gospel. Endure for the gospel. Not only should you live for the gospel, not only should you pass on the gospel, but you need to endure for the gospel. And I say it's a must because, again, we have another command here. When you see the word endure or share, it is imperative, not an option, something we must do. Well, how are we to endure? Well, praise God, the Holy Spirit gives us three examples of, of what this looks like, how to endure for the gospel. Number one, first example is the dedicated soldier here. And one of the points I want to make about the dedicated soldiers, he or she desires to please God. The dedicated soldier desires to please God. Look at verse 3. So endure or share, the same idea here, share in this suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So the point, my friends, is this. Christ is the one who enlisted you if you're a Christian. So you're in his, his army. You're a good soldier of who? of Jesus Christ. And so you need to understand that the the soldier's duty, his life is not a life of ease. It's a life of endurance. And when I think of endurance, I I I can't help but think about Navy SEALs. And by the way, Navy SEALs is just uh it's not an animal. It's it's a US Special Operations Force. Um uh, Anyway, here's what Wikipedia had to say about the Navy SEALs. I'm quite interested in what they have to do just to become a Navy SEAL. You realize most people who try to become a special operation, part of the special ops force never make it. And so Wikipedia says this, the first two weeks of basic conditioning prepare candidates for the third week, which is affectionately called Hell Week. And during Hell Week, candidates participate in five and a half days of continuous training. Each candidate sleeps a maximum of four hours during those five days, while their instructors, they're getting all the sleep they need, but they drive the guys into the ground. It says here they, they have to run over 200 miles during those five days. By the way, wearing army, you know, their military fatigues, heavy boots, and so forth lack of sleep. And so they do the physical training every day for more than 20 hours. Push-ups, sit-ups, dunking themselves in cold water, lifting heavy things, crawling across sand, you know, the running up hills, down hills, the list goes on and on for 20 hours every day for five days, five and a half days, with only four hours of sleep. That takes endurance. <laughs> That is incredibly hard. It's no wonder many quit. And so, my friends, to be a good soldier takes serious dedication. You might be sitting there wondering, these guys are crazy. Why would they do that? They're dedicated. And so, by the grace of God, we're to put on the armor of God and, and to go into battle until our commander says, the war is over. Be totally dedicated to it. Verse, verse 4 in your Bible there says that a good soldier does not get entangled with the concerns of civilian life. Why? Because they're not civilians. They're in the Lord's army. And so they're, they're to seek to please the one who recruited them into the military. And so soldiers live with the awareness that a war is going on. And even when they're on leave, they can be called back at any moment. And there's a sense of concentration. There is self-denial for a soldier and disregard for trivial matters. 
Of course, this doesn't mean that Christians should neglect their families. That's not the point. Don't neglect your family. And, and it's, it's okay for you to have some holiday time. It's okay to have some sleep. Uh, the point is not to emulate the Navy SEALs. Right? Wouldn't recommend that. But uh, the, the point is, what is important in life? And Paul was speaking here about a mindset. There's a mission you need to realize that you're supposed to be accomplishing. How easy is it for us to get distracted by things that simply just do not matter a whole lot in the scheme of things and in light of eternity? And so let me ask you, are any good things keeping you from doing the main things? Any good things keeping you from doing the main things? You say, well, what's the main thing? Well, the text is helpful. The main thing is, or or our main aim, if you will, the chief aim has to be to please Jesus Christ, the one who recruited you. That's your main aim in life as a soldier of Jesus Christ. So how are you doing? Are you pleasing him? Or are you distracted? Getting caught up with civilian life. Have any of you gone AWOL? I hope not. Those are all things that a good soldier of Jesus Christ does not do. Well, the second example that Paul gives here is about an athlete, and we see the disciplined athlete here obeys God's rules. An athlete should not win anything unless they're doing what, what the code says to do. What do the rules say for their particular sport? Verse 5 just says an athlete's not crowned. In other words, he doesn't win this, this crown, his reward, unless he competes according to the rules. So the athlete has to compete according to the rules if he is to be crowned here. And the idea of a crown here, going back to the Greek Olympic Games, was they, would, uh, they didn't get a metal crown with jewels in it. No, it was a, it was a wreath. It, it would be made out of plants. And that would be their reward for winning their competition. The athlete had to avoid unfair tactics, and they couldn't even enter into the Greek Olympic Games without doing some certain things. And Paul probably has that in mind when he's writing here. And so there's no shortcuts in sports, my friends. It requires discipline. It requires endurance. Have you noticed millions of people, maybe even billions of people across our globe, admire athletes, but not many people imitate athletes. (laughs) That's why they make the big bucks, don't they? Most of us aren't willing to imitate them. We're not disciplined and dedicated like they are. Many Christians want God's blessing without playing according to his rules. They want to take shortcuts. And so my friends, if you do that, the Bible says in Corinthians, you will be disqualified if you don't obey God's rules. He sees all. He knows all. As I was thinking about the athlete illustration here in verse 5, I was thinking about one of the greatest Olympians, certainly of the modern times, if not all times. And by the way, do you know which Olympians has won the most medals? As far as I know, I think I got my information correct. I looked it up. As far as I know, it's Michael Phelps, who is a United States swimmer who is now retired. In total, according to the Internet, he won 71 medals. Wow. Most of those gold. You say, well, why was the guy so successful? That's because the guy was a fanatic when it came to discipline. But it also helps that God gave him shaped his body perfectly for swimming in water. That's, that's helpful, of course, uh, because there's many of us, it doesn't matter how much we discipline ourselves, we're never going to beat the guy, right? So God made him that way, of course. But he was incredibly disciplined. His training shows his discipline. For example, I, I found out his training regime. He used to swim 80,000 meters every week. That's nearly 50 miles, or for you people who like kilometers, that's about 80 kilometers every week swimming in the water. To do that, he trains six hours a day, six days a week, every week of the year. Apparently, he'd even go swimming on Christmas. 
the guy was a fanatic. And uh, he was a fanatic when it came to eating. It was, his whole entire life revolved around winning gold medals. That's what it was all about for him. So endurance requires a lot of discipline training. Do you think you can endure in this Christian life and be a faithful minister and a good soldier of Jesus Christ without discipline, without endurance? No way. won't happen. You'll fail. So that's why we got these examples here. We got a soldier. We got an athlete. And some of you are going to love number three example here, the hardworking farmer. What's he doing? He's looking for God's blessing. The hardworking farmer works hard, but relies upon God's blessing. It's interesting, verse 6 there says it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. You don't get crops without God's blessing, right? God could wipe out crops in a number of ways if he chooses. Too much rain, not enough rain, you know, too many bugs, not enough bugs, you know, the you know, the list goes on and on, right? There's so many things that can destroy crops. So farmers have to work hard. You know, they get up early. Many times stay up late. You gotta work the fields because they don't just you know, a crop doesn't automatically just pop itself up and grow maize and whatever else you want it to. It doesn't do that on its own. You gotta look after the fields, you gotta care for animals, you gotta you gotta kill the pest. Seems like everything in our in, in, out there in the paddocks is, is trying to kill everything you're trying to do, right? Kill the animals, kill the crops. And so you've got to be totally devoted to this kind of work. And those of you who are farmers know it's, it's not really work. It's a whole lifestyle, isn't it? It's an entire lifestyle. My mother was a, a farm girl. I spent a lot of time on farms. I know a little bit about farming, enough to make me dangerous. And I know that especially during during harvest time, you're waking up really early, and sometimes you're only getting three, four hours of sleep at night, and then you do it over again, and it's the same the next day and the next day until the crops are done. It's just that's what you do. It's hard, hard work. But unlike athletes and and soldiers, farming is usually not very glorious, is it? Right? I mean, how many farmers do you know have have stadiums, stadiums of thousands of people sitting around the paddock watching you bale hay. Right? Has that ever happened? I'm not aware. If it has, please don't ruin my illustration, okay? Right? It usually, you, you, it's not like a rugby match where you might have 60,000 people sitting around watching the All Blacks. No, farmers don't usually get that. You're out there in the paddock, usually all by yourself, Right? You don't get thousands of people cheering you on. Wow, that was the perfect round bale. Or, you know, Jody, you did a great job in wrapping it. it, it it's going to be perfect for the cows. You know, no, it doesn't happen, right? No one's cheering you on doing that. There's no applauding by fans or civilians like soldiers might get. Or the media doesn't show up with cameras, do they? Right? How, any of that ever happened to you? You get. Unless it's for really bad reasons, that might happen. But for good reasons, no. The media is not showing up. Wow, that guy's amazing as he's bailing his hay. Look at that. Perfect lines. No, it doesn't happen, right? And it's a good analogy for ministry here as you serve God. Because often ministry is not glamorous. It's not glamorous. It involves a lot of sowing, planting, watering, monitoring of what has been sown. It's just hard, hard work. And Paul adds the farmer here deserved the first share of his crops. (laughs) It's interesting, that's the same way the Bible talks about those involved in ministry, particularly elders, deserve their share of the crops. In other words, a farmer, he gets to enjoy some of the fruits of his labor. And this is the other side to ministry. Many blessings come from being involved in ministry. Yes, it's hard work, but it is. there's a lot of good that comes from it too. For example, if you're involved in ministry, you get to watch people grow, conform into the image of Christ. Glorious thing to see. You get to see skeptics converted. Yes. <laughs> the guy who used to be an atheist, then outright one of these new kind of atheists. 
becomes a Christian. You might get to watch mission projects develop. You may even get to be a part of establishing new churches. These are all glorious things to behold. But a lot of times the media is not there to applaud you for it. It's just hard work. What's the fourth element? Think on the gospel. Think on the gospel. Verse 7 is a command. Paul says, uh, think over what I say. Think there. There's that, there's that command. It's in the imperative. Again, not an option. You must do this. It's something you must continually do. Don't just do it once, but keep doing this throughout your life. It's interesting. It's also active. This is one you must continually do. So Christians must consider God's Word carefully in order to understand it. You have to keep doing this, considering it, thinking, mulling over the Scriptures, studying them, because you don't have a USB port in your brain. You can't just take you know, an HDMI cable from the Bible and hook it up to your brain. I wish I could sometimes. It doesn't work that way. You've got to study with this promise in view here. Notice what it says, verse 7, that the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Do you believe that? That God can do that and will do that? So my friends, this should encourage us not to be lazy in our Bible study. Work hard and believe that God's going to enable you to uncover its truths. That Believe that God wants you to know these truths. Believe God wants you to know Him. And so to be a great student of Scripture, you're going to need two things. Number one, hard work. Hard work. Continuous hard work. You're going to keep studying for your whole life. That's why this is in the present tense here. But it's also going to require a heart of humility. It's going to require a heart of humility because if you are unteachable, you're not going to put in the hard work. God's not going to be able to teach you His Word. You're not going to learn. You need to pray for a heart of humility to think on the Gospel. You say, wow, this this faithful ministry, this sounds kind of hard. So I have to live out the Gospel. I have to pass on the Gospel. I have to endure for the gospel, and now you're telling me I gotta think on the gospel for the rest of my life? Wow, that's, well, that's difficult. Faithful ministry. Oof. Serving God. Being a good soldier of Christ, that's difficult. Yeah? It is. I'd be wrong to tell you otherwise. But I'm also thankful that scriptures moves on here and tells us some motives for faithful ministry. In fact, there's four of them. Mentioned in verses 8 through 13. Four motives for faithful ministry. Number one, remember the preeminence of the Lord. Remember the preeminence of the Lord. Now here we get here we go again. Another command. And this this command, it's it's a, it's a present tense, active, imperative here. What's the point? Well, in order to endure to the end, believers must never lose sight of Jesus. Never lose sight of Jesus. Look look at verse 8. Look at this command in verse 8. The Bible says, remember Jesus Christ. What do you need to remember about Jesus Christ? Well, there, there's a lot you need to remember about Christ. But look at two, two things in particular Paul says. Remember that Jesus Christ is not dead. He is risen from the dead. You serve a living Savior. And number two, he is the offspring of David. This is the one you preach. This is your Messiah, the offspring of David, the promised one that is mentioned in the Old Testament. He was promised. He came. He fulfilled the promises. He is who he said he is. So in order to endure, we must never lose sight of Jesus. You say, well, That sounds a little difficult. How could I ever forget Jesus? I mean, after all, He's my Savior. How could I forget Him? Well, there are occasions in which the church has forgotten whose people they are and whose mission they have joined. Sadly. You don't believe me? Study church history. It's happened way too much. So we must be careful not to make ministry a 
just a mere profession in which Jesus is somehow pushed to the fringes. Like he was with the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. Oh, they were doing all kinds of good things and they could talk theology, but they had abandoned Jesus, the head of the church. So Christ is to be central. He's to be preeminent. He's to have this place of exaltation in our lives, in our ministries, in our church. Well, how does that happen? Well, notice again, verse verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. So remembering Jesus involves keeping both His person and His work central. Who is He? He is the risen Savior. He is this offspring of David. That's who He is. He's descended from David. So that means that Christ's person is fully divine, but He's also fully human. So you see both both of His natures here in one person. He is divine and human. Paul also affirmed Christ's work. Jesus died in our place for our sins, but He rose from the grave. What did He do by that? Conquered our enemies and now sits at God's right hand as our high priest. And so my friend, when you feel yourself coming to the end and you just you feel like your spiritual tank is empty, remember the empty tomb. Remember the empty tomb and the one who was there. Remember, though, where Jesus is now, that He is at God the Father's right hand. The throne is not empty. The throne is occupied. And so you can endure anything if you have sufficient motivation. May that be your motivation. Remember the preeminence of the Lord. You say, what is the point? My friends, a lofty vision of Christ is going to keep us in the war. It's going to get us in the war. It's going to keep us in the war. It's going to keep us in the game. It's going to keep you working on the farm until the blessings come. So remember the preeminence of the Lord. The second motive for faithful ministry is remember the power of the Word. Remember the power of the Word of God, that is. Verse 9, may I remind you, Paul was in chains, it says. He's suffering. He's bound with these chains. He's considered to be a criminal of the Roman Empire. All for preaching the Gospel. This deposit that had been entrusted to him. He was guarding it. He had passed it on. And he's suffering for it now. He's in a dungeon, chained to Roman soldiers in Rome. He's soon going to die. These are his last words. But Paul recognizes, despite all that, that the Word of God is not bound. See, you can chain God's servants in prison but His Word advances despite the imprisonment. And Paul's able to say that the Gospel had even gone into Caesar's household. Opponents can change, can chain the messengers, but the sovereign Christ is going to make sure they cannot chain the message because the, the message is unbound. It cannot be bound. But praise God for that. May that motivate you to faithful ministry. See, they can burn the Bible. They can put you in prison. They could even burn your body at the stake. But the message, the gospel message cannot be destroyed. Number three, the third motive is remember the purpose of the work. You have purpose in your work. May it motivate you to faithful ministry. Verse 10 says, Therefore I endure everything. Why? For the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now this is fascinating, isn't it? The doctrine of election is mentioned here. And sadly some people take that and the pendulum swings in the wrong directions. See, Paul didn't make the doctrine of election a, a, a thing that would, that would stop him from preaching the gospel. Now, in fact, 
It was something that was essential and necessary to Paul. The belief in the doctrine of election was necessary. God has ordained that people find salvation in Christ by the means of a gospel presentation. Paul says it this way in in Romans, how are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear without a preacher? So, this is what God has ordained for us. Yes, we must use words. (laughs) The gospel comes in words. And so the good news is that some people are going to believe if you are going to tell them this glorious message of Jesus Christ. Of course, not all believe. But nevertheless, your, your mission is to be faithful with the gospel. And so our gospel witness is going to require varying degrees of suffering, as Paul talks about here. But when we suffer, notice there is a glorious outcome to it. You too can experience eternal glory. The ones you minister to, the ones you serve, can experience eternal glory with Christ. So my friend, that is the purpose of your work. Yes, you serve Christ. But don't forget, as you serve Christ, you're also serving His people. The fourth motive that is given here is remember the promises of God. As you faithfully minister for Christ, remember the promises of God. There's a lot of promises given here. It's a trustworthy statement here. There's lots of things mentioned here, so let me just lay them out for you. Number one, first promise mentioned is if we die with Christ, we will live with Christ. So verse 11 says, if we've died with Him, we also will live with Him. And so, what's this talking about? Well, based on the context, it seems to suggest that Paul has martyrdom in mind. We know based on chapter 4 that his martyrdom is coming. If that is the case, if somebody if somebody has sacrificed his life for Christ, in other words, you've died with him, that martyrdom is actually giving evidence that you had spiritual life in Christ. And you're going to live with Christ through all eternity. So, somebody might take your body, but it's not the end. It's never the end for a believer. It's just the start of a glorious future. And so the martyr's hope is eternal life after death. It's not the end. It's the beginning with Christ. The second promise of God is, in verse 12, if we endure, we will reign with Christ. So if we endure hostility, as Timothy did, as Paul did, uh, you may even be killed. But if you're not, if you're not killed, you just get persecution from people then you're giving evidence that we truly belong to Christ. Your endurance in Christ shows you're one of His people. And and, and the Bible says, if that's the case, there's coming a time when you will reign with Christ. Read Revelation. It talks about us reigning and ruling with Him. It's coming. And that's the hope of believers who live in difficult situations. Because their best life is not now. Their best life is in the future when they will reign with Christ. Well, the third and fourth promise aren't so wonderful in my opinion, but we see number three, the third promise of God is if we deny Christ, He will deny us. The word deny there is in the future tense. And so you could say it this way, if in the future we deny Him, then Christ will deny us. This promise looks at some confrontation that makes the cost of confessing Christ very high, and sometimes it tests your faith so much that some people just deny Christ. So a person who fails to endure and hold on to his confession in Christ will deny Him, and then if that's the case, it shows you never belong to Him. Because one who belongs to Christ doesn't ultimately and finally deny Christ. You say, well, what about the Apostle Peter? Didn't he deny Christ? Yes, but it wasn't ultimate and final, was it? And show a little grace to the guy, because he didn't have the Holy Spirit at that point, the indwelling Holy Spirit. 
Nevertheless, it's inexcusable. He did, but he was sorrowful. He showed that he was a believer in Christ, nevertheless. And Christ comes to him, and, and, uh, and he repents, and, and, and Christ gives him a mission. Feed my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter does. But Peter showed himself to not be ultimately and finally one who was not a believer in Christ. So even though those of us who fail, we can repent, we can return to Christ, and we can move on. Praise God for that truth. But if you ultimately and finally deny Christ, you can claim this promise that Christ will deny you. You will never gain entrance into heaven. The fourth promise is that if we are faithless, Christ remains faithful. Now the idea here is it might be a little confusing. Let me explain this. That uh, The word faithless means lack of saving faith. In other words, if, if you don't have the saving faith in Christ, you can believe that Christ is going to stay faithful to His promises. So... The unsaved, when they deny Christ, well, they do, don't they? The unsaved deny Christ because they've never had faith in Him for salvation. But what do we learn about Christ? He remains faithful. Not only to those who believe in Him, but does Christ remain faithful to those who never believed in Him? What about those who never put their faith in Christ to start with? Does he break his promises to them? No. No, he doesn't, my friends. You, you like John 3.16, don't you? Wonderful promise. You believe in Christ, then you won't be condemned. You're going to have eternal life. But the verses that follow also show us the other side of things. For those who never put their faith in Christ, the Bible says they're already condemned. They're already condemned. And so if they don't believe in Christ, Christ is going to keep His promise to them, which is eternal death in the lake of fire. He's not going to break His promise to condemn those who don't believe and trust in Him. Why? Well, to do otherwise. Look what it says. You see what it says? To do otherwise would be to deny Himself, which is goes against his own nature. Who is God? Who is Christ? He is just in his nature. He cannot break his promises. That would be a denial of himself. And so this scripture must have helped Timothy to guard the gospel, guard this precious deposit that had been passed on to him. You say, why do I say that? Well, there's a little obscure phrase in Hebrews chapter 13 that mentions Timothy, Timothy's release so apparently, after some time, Paul passes off the scene after he was, he was martyred. Apparently, Timothy was put in prison, and he suffered for his faith. But he was released from prison. So praise God, Timothy was a, a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He was a faithful minister of this gospel. So I ask you, my friends, are you? Are you a faithful minister of Christ's gospel? And the good news is you can be if you live in the gospel, if you pass on the gospel, if you endure for the gospel, and if you think on the gospel. There's your four elements that Paul says will show you what is faithful ministry. If you do that, you can be a faithful minister of the gospel. But I have to tell you, as Paul says, it's not easy. It's not easy. Endurance is going to require single-mindedness. Endurance is going to require dedication. Endurance is going to require hard work. As we saw in the examples of the athlete and the soldier and the farmer. But the good news is, you can do it. Yes, it's hard work. It's going to require a lot of dedication. You're going to have to be single-minded in your focus and who you please. But you can do it. God wants you to be a faithful minister. And He's given you everything you need to be a faithful minister and a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The question is, are you ready to answer the call? Are you ready to step up and say, I will answer the call that Paul is giving here. 
to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so if, if that is you, then my friend, then dedicate your entire life to faithful ministry. You don't have to be paid to do this, by the way. I have the rich blessing of getting paid to study God's Word. But anybody can be a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. Anyone. Dedicate your life to it. Be single-minded in this focus. Be dedicated and work hard. You can do it. So I encourage you, if you've never done that, answer the call. If you've already answered the call to faithful ministry, then the exhortation to you, my friend, is don't give up. Endure. Keep going. Go. Go. Don't give up. Keep going. This is an ongoing thing. And be encouraged by the motives that we've seen here in Scripture. So may God's grace enable you to be a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Scriptures and this precious precious message. May we understand the importance of this deposit and treasure that's been given to us. May each one of us recognize that and, and guard it, but not hoard it. May we pass it on. May our entire lives live the gospel as we are strengthened by Jesus Christ. May we share in His sufferings as a good soldier of Christ and endure, keep enduring, never giving up. May we look to the Scriptures and think over them, mull over them, study them, memorize them, and meditate upon them so you are then able to give us understanding in everything. May we have the right motives. May we do the right things for the right reasons. Encourage us with these Scriptures that we would endure and never give up. We would never compromise. We would never surrender to the enemy. May we continually put on Your armor. Stay in the fight. Stay in the battle until You say the war is over. And so may we with our entire lives, our thoughts, our actions and words, please, Jesus Christ, the one who enlisted us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.